Hi everyone, welcome to the Quantum Heart Cafe, and welcome back if you're a recurring, uh, recurring guest to the cafe. Uh, it's a show about, um, or this is a show where I explore uh, spirituality, uh, current events, like really important current events, like not conspiracy, they sound like conspiracy, but they're not, and uh, as well as other areas of interest like world history, science, all through my love of books and uh, literature. And uh, what I usually do in the show is I read a book or um, I may even start reading uh, like papers and research papers online that are really that I found that are really interesting or important or are related to the the topics. Um, and, and, the, and my hopes for that is to you know, inspire myself about um, spirituality and uh, learning more as well about the material world, but also, um, you know, inspiring the listener, inspiring you, or inspiring you to uh, explore these topics and, and learn more in, through the, the books that I share on the channel. And uh, today I'm going to be talking about the second part. Well, actually, sorry, I said so the third part, because I've done two shows already, but it's like the, it's the second part of uh, Venus. It's, um, the book is called Worlds in Collision by Emmanuel Volokovsky, and I uh, did two shows prior already, um, where I talked about what I had learned in the book and, and my thoughts and uh, some of the key concepts that Emmanuel Volokovsky uh, shared throughout uh, the first part of the book's that I've, I've read so far. And in the, in this show, I'm going to be talking, continuing to talk about the planet Venus and, uh, I'm going to say her, her connection to, um, some of the major catastrophes throughout history, such as the, uh, the Exodus and, uh, 52 years later, the events that were detailed in the book of Joshua where the sun stood still for a period of time. Um, and that's kind of at the heart of Emmanuel's books is he talks about, um, you know, these important world catastrophes like that have ended world ages throughout history and their relationship to mythology and legend, as well as the relationship to what was going on in the, in the sky and the, the astronomy of, of what happened, like the interactions between different celestial bodies and what that did to earth. So, so far I've found the book to be really interesting. And before I continue, um, the show, what I usually like to do, um, at the beginning is I talk about, uh, gratitude. And I also do have a, a little bit of an announcement to make as well. Um, so I am grateful. I know I, I wasn't here. I didn't publish a show last week and that's just because I had some uh, you know, kind of personal stuff come up, a little bit of a, um, an emergency, but, you know, thankful that everything turned out to be okay. Um, you know, it did involve a car and stuff, so, you know, if you're out there driving, please just give people space on the road. Um, you know, with tailgating and stuff like that, like, just, if you have space in front of your vehicle, you have time to stop, just in case that person you know, maybe they're a kid steps out or they make a sudden right turn or a left turn. If you give yourself space, then there's time to stop and to kind of avoid a collision. So 
Um, you know, I am grateful that nothing further, you know, was just a little minor thing, but, you know, even then, like, it's still a pain in the butt, so just, it could have been a lot worse, um, and I'm grateful it wasn't, and, um, so that's kind of what I'm gratitude, my gratitude, moment of gratitude for today, um, and I also was grateful for yesterday, because it was turned out to, it or did turn out to be a really nice day out, now that spring is here, and uh, just being able to go out and do my photography again, and just enjoying being outside, you know, like, I don't mind the winter, but, you know, being cooped up while it's raining and stuff like that, I mean, not that I can't go out and do fun things in the rain, but it just makes a big difference when the sun, the sun is out, and the starting to see the cherry blossoms and uh, I'm looking forward to those uh, the cherry blossoms because uh, they're just beautiful and they make uh, beautiful photos so I'm looking forward to um, you know lots of really pretty pictures coming up in another week or so because they're just starting to bud I can just start to see them on the trees it's really cool uh, and for the announcement um, so last show I talked about um, Allison McDowell and Jason Jason Bosch, along with a number of speakers, have uh, come together to create a really important series on um, kind of like the really important um, current events happening that really aren't being talked about, but are really important. You know, the rollout of um, social impact finance and and blockchain, and um, you know, turning living beings and uh, the living world into a, a digital commodity and like what the implications of that and the very serious uh, ramifications because you know a lot of this involves uh, tech companies and hedge funds and so on um, using data to gamble on the people's outcomes especially vulnerable people uh, like children and elderly and people with mental illness, drug addiction, um, you know, and it, and also too, they're also really going after the real estate. I mean, there's a reason why rental prices are so crazy right now and why, you know, they're really the banks and, um, you know, investors and stuff are really targeting um, real estate and home ownership and stuff like that and making it very hard for people to afford a home or for or for to rent anywhere um you know it's all by design you know they they make the problem and then they offer their solution to the problem and uh so it's a really important series um it's a six-part series and allison has done i think it's five parts so there's one more one more um presentation to go where i think uh, her and uh, jason will be wrapping up the presentation and I will leave a link in the description to Allison's YouTube channel. And I highly uh, check, uh, suggest checking out the presentations. And she interviews some very uh, knowledgeable people that talk about what's going on in their cities because this is a worldwide thing that's um, being that's rolling out as we speak. And it's really important to become aware of it. And I know there's a lot of terminology and stuff that maybe people aren't uh, familiar with but don't let that deter you because this stuff is really important so I just wanted to make that announcement before I really start getting into uh, the third part of the 
my Worlds in Collision uh, series. So I, um, you know, appreciate you listening to the uh, announcement, and I hope you check out Allison McDowell's work. She's a very accomplished researcher. Same with uh, Jason Jason Bosch, who's a, a accomplished uh, videographer, and together they've put out, put together a number of really important presentations and have done a lot of field work around the U.S. Um, just detailing what's what's rolling out because our society is changing and the economics is changing and I don't think a lot of people are aware of just how of the implications of that because it's not really an economic system that's designed for life it's mostly designed for destruction um, and and human suffering as well as you know other beings suffering too um, so I hope you, you'll check out that uh, the series okay so um and last show i uh kind of stopped at the halfway mark of the the venus or the section of the book where emmanuel Wilikowski talks about venus and like how um and the relationship or or what happened during the exodus when a comet came really close to earth and caused a lot of major catastrophes like earthquakes and rains of fire and so on and um you know previous you know in the show last or in the last show i you know because like i concluded by talking about the comet typhoon um and there's a myth or a legend around the comet typhoon where zeus is fighting typhoon so it's kind of like this serpent in the sky and zeus goes to fight him and so you know i thought that okay maybe that comet is it maybe it's not venus maybe it it's typhoon and there's no uh, connection there but as i finished or as i concluded the section on venus i turned turns out i was wrong that uh typhoon is indeed venus and venus was a comet uh before she became a planet and i say she because in a lot of um traditions not just uh greek but uh, egyptian and um other traditions around the world uh venus is seen as a as a or venus did start off as a god but later became associated with a goddess and in uh, greek mythology she's associated with athena and in um ancient Kemet, she's associated with the goddess isis um so so that's why i just call her a she because it's just easier and then when i talk about mars uh, which will be next week, then I'll, you know, I'll be calling him a he because, you know, usually Mars is associated with Aries, the god of war, and all that good stuff. So if you see here she, it's just an easier, um, I just find it easier to refer to Venus as she. Um, so uh, in the chapter that, um, I, so I'm beginning today by talking about uh, the, the reversed polarity of the earth. Um, uh, which to continue, which is what Manuel start uh, talks about um, as he continues the section on Venus. Uh, so he he talks about how um, a magnetic poles can be reversed when it's struck by a thunderbolt. Um, and so because an Earth is like a giant magnet, an electrical uh, discharge from another celestial body can actually reverse our poles. Um, 
Emmanuel suspects there are poles were reversed in the past, and one theory or idea he has for um, kind of measuring that or kind of figuring out when they were or how often they were those poles were reversed is to look at lava erupting from volcanoes um, because when lava erupts uh, from the volcano it becomes uh, magnet magnetic and it orientates itself along uh, earth's magnetic fields uh, and he was saying that this can be tested in a lab provided that the scientists keep a detailed record of the lava's original orientation before before the test just in case like they accidentally reverse in in the lab and kind of screw up the the findings um but he did see that there might be a potential problem with using lava uh to figure out the magnetic the earth's uh past magnetic rotation um because the magnetic direction can be affected if the lava is repeated repeatedly heated up even after it's been erupted the repeated heating can um, interfere with the magnetic polarity. Um, so he, he does realize that that can be uh, an issue. Um, but what I thought was interesting is that he also, Emmanuel also talked about how um, igneous rocks have been found with a different polarity than the, the local magnetic field. Um, and he also talked about how some older rocks have weaker magnetic field, which could suggest that um, the Earth's poles have had been reversed. I'm not sure if they would, that would be able to tell us when they were reversed, but it looks like it was. It's another way for um, people to kind of explore that a bit, is if they find igneous rocks with maybe a different polarity than the local rocks, because maybe that igneous rock, rock is quite old and has, has experienced a shift in Earth's poles. Um, and then Emmanuel also wondered if there was a interdependence between Earth's rotation and magnetic fields and the other uh, celestial bodies like the sun. And that kind of makes sense. Like I would imagine that the a bigger celestial body like the sun or a larger planet or even a comet could interfere with our magnetic fields in some way because I feel like all the planets are interconnected like we're not really all that's independent or standalone like we're all kind of the soul you know the planets in the solar system and other the other celestial bodies I'm sure are interconnected in ways that maybe we don't really understand just yet um yeah I'd be surprised if they weren't interdependent on each other um and then in another chapter uh, he also talks about how um the quarters of the world were displaced at the the time of the exodus so uh, what he meant by that is the um following the events that brought the middle kingdom of egypt to a halt and that happened during the exodus a gloom covered the earth for some time uh, so this made ob observing the night sky really hard and many cultures around the world observed the same gloom and weren't sure which direction the new sun would rise until the gloom was gone 
uh, when the gloom was lifted, the sun was in a different direction. Um, and this happened after a major catastrophe. So what that means is that, you know, we take it for granted that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. But in other, during other periods in world history that was different, the sun would rise in the west and set in the east. And it has to do with uh, Earth's axis being disturbed or or something like that, like a, a celestial body disturbing uh, Earth's rotation or axis in some way, which would change um, the orientation of where the sun is rising or where the sun is setting. Um, and then he was also saying uh, when the gloom was lifted, uh, or that, sorry, he was saying that many cultures have stories that resemble the Exodus, um, such as lightning bursting, out of the sky and the earth turning upside down. So, you know, if the earth turns upside down or if the axis is affected in some way, then the where the sun rises and sets is going to be different. Uh, and then he also notes that there was changes in times and seasons. Um, so the, the insulation um, from the dust and heat uh, which covered the earth um, really did help to they it really did have an effect on earth's climate which makes sense and um, you know right now we live in an age where fall follows summer and spring follows winter uh, because earth rotates on an axis that's inclined towards the sun um, but you know there could have been times where earth was a perpendicular to the sun which means that there wouldn't be any seasons and then there was other times where the planet earth was um, inclined away from the sun so it was the opposite tilt which means that the seasons would have been flipped um, and then the um, and then even in the Egyptian papyrus uh, pardon my pronunciation of it is the Anastasi uh, the fifth, no, Anastasi the fourth, uh, talks about the seasons being changed and winter appeared instead of summer after there was a gloom and absence of solar light. Um, and then the text of Taoism says this and, uh, Plutarch does as well. And he blames the destruction on Typhoon or the change in seasons on the comet Typhoon, which later would become Venus. Um, so it, it does make sense that the, you know, the combination of heat and dust as well as, which would affect our climate as well as like the axis tilting and maybe earth's axis being, uh, kind of tilted as a result of the comet typhoon, uh, that the seasons would have been changed as well as time. Um, so, you know, and, and in summary, the events of the Exodus saw Earth starting a new age uh, with new seasons, with different rotations and changed poles. So that, that would have been quite, quite dramatic to um, go through that. And it was, you know, a lot of people died at that time. And there's a lot of earthquakes and great upheavals. And it wasn't just, um, you know, experienced by the... Uh, Egyptians or the Israelites, but it was experienced all over the world.
Um, and what I thought was also really interesting is uh, he has a chapter called The Shadow of Death. And um, so he starts off by talking about the year of Caesar's death, um, where a comet was seen passing over the sky, moving from north to west. Uh, the dust from the comet fell to earth and caused a whole year's gloom. Uh, the contact with the comet um, also would have caused massive volcanic eruptions and heated the and heating of the Earth's surface from those to, uh, erup eruptions. Um, following that, we have a large evaporation of rivers and oceans. Uh, this would have caused two clouds: one of vapor, one of other, and other and the other dust. Uh, the smoke from the volcanoes would have added a thick darkness to the sky, lasting for a long time. Uh, the dust from the comet would have also mixed with the vapor and smoke. Eventually, the dust subsided and the vapor condensed. <laughs> okay, so I know I, I, I put together a PowerPoint for this just so I can keep track of all the my notes and stuff. So I think... So to summarize that, so these are just uh, some notes I wrote about the shadow of death. So to summarize that, uh, when during Caesar's death, a comet flew over um, Earth at that time and moving north to west. And so the dust and everything from the comet's tail is what caused a period of gloom during that year. Um, and then he's saying that the same thing happened during the time of the Exodus when the uh, comet Typhoon came close to the Earth, the dust from the tail, as well as the smoke from the volcanic eruptions and the, you know, uh, vapor from the oceans evaporating combined to create this gloomy, this dark, gloomy um, sort of atmosphere that covered most of the Earth for a long time, and including the desert where the wandering took place, where the Israelites were wandering around. And then that's where you kind of get the, um, you know, that passage about the, the shadow of death and not fearing the shadow of death. I don't know the whole words verbatim because I don't have the Bible in front of me, but it's interesting how the shadow of death could actually have related to this gloom that was created by uh, the comet Typhoon at that time. So I thought that was pretty cool. Or just pretty interesting. Um, and then other ancient traditions also talk about a prolonged period of darkness uh, following uh, the celestial upheavals happening at this, in their part of the world at the same time. Uh, one of the Spaniards wrote that after the destruction of the fourth sun, and remember how in previous uh, sh shows I, ta uh, I talk about how sun and age are used interchangeably so when when ancient cultures talk about the destruction of a sun they can also be talking about the destruction of a world age and then the beginning of a new one and so there is a destruction of so the Spaniard wrote that after the destruction of the fourth sun uh, a period of darkness lasted for 25 years that's a long time <laughs> that's a long time without sunshine um, and I wonder how people, people survived that, but anyway, so that after the darkness subsided, so after that 25 years of darkness, um, and this, and the Spaniard, he was relating to what happened 
in and around Mexico because it was um he was kind of quoting because you know the Spanish did colonize parts of uh, Central Amer Central America America and South America so <clears throat> when I said that that means that he was referring to uh, Mexico so they went through 25 years of uh, darkness and then humanity emerged renewed but I you know I wonder how they were able to survive without sunshine because we need vitamin D and stuff but anyway um it just goes to show the wisdom of of ancient cultures they figured out how to how to get through something like that um <clears throat> and then <coughs> Manuel also quotes the papyrus Epuwer, um where he describes the years of darkness in Egypt and one of the plagues during the exit one of the plagues during the exodus um which was the the gloom and the the sort of toxic atmosphere because I imagine like you know if you're breathing in ash from volcanoes and dust from comets like that's going to be that's going to probably make a lot of people sick um and then Emmanuel wondered if the shadow of death was referring to the heavy gloom in the sky from the comet and the influence towards the earth so he he also kind of wondered if <clears throat> you know the quoting and talking about the shadow of death in the story is re related to the gloom caused by the comet and the comet's um, catastrophic interaction with Earth. Uh, and then to... Um, you know, the silver lining in this, though, is that the clouds... Because Emmanuel was also talking about how um, because of this gloom, when the Israelites were wandering around the desert for all that time, the gloom acted as protection from the sun, like shade and protection during all those years. Um, you know, once the the wandering ended, the gloom did eventually um, lift shortly after. Uh, and it's funny because I think the well, that's funny. It's interesting that the Israelites be came to revere the celestial cloud, like they came to revere the the gloom and would follow it wherever it went in the desert. So I thought that was kind of funny, or interesting um the chinese also spoke uh about a gloom that descended on the land during the emperor yao's time and then the japanese also make reference to an ever-ending darkness that their people went through at that time um and and i was right like because you know if we're not if planet earth is not receiving proper sunlight over that period of time like i you know, I, I do wonder how the vegetation did at that during that time and a lot of and Manuel was saying that a lot of the vegetation all over the world died and many people, you know, were starving and uh, malnourished at that time. Uh, but then he also talks about something which I also alluded to uh, last week, which is ambrosia. So, you know, it's like another silver lining during this really difficult period in human history is this uh, substance that fell from the sky and, and nourished people so um, Emmanuel asked how the clouds dis dissolved themselves and they um, over that period of time and they did it by 
through dew, rain, uh, hail, or snow. Um, and, uh, and what fell during that time of darkness was what people at the time referred to as manna or corn from heaven. Um, people tasted it and it tasted like honey and, um, they survived the period of darkness by eating this manna, like they would eat, this manna would fall from the sky and it would nourish them. Um, and then the other word for manna is ambrosia. And people from all over the world speak of this manna or ambrosia falling from the sky. And it's interesting because, you know, when we finally get to um, Emmanuel talking about Venus, uh, the Greeks had a ceremony where they would revere Athena. And I think one of the gifts would be off an offer of honey. And the honey, to me, that honey symbolizes the ambrosia because ambrosia, uh, it you know, it's this golden type, it's like this golden type um, substance, and it and if it looks and tastes like honey, then it, it makes sense that they would use uh, honey in their ceremonies as a gift of thanks to Athena or Venus. So I thought that was kind of cool. And in Buddhism, they also speak of um, ambrosia coming from the heavens to serve as food after a world destruction and a period of darkness. So, I mean, that kind of answers my earlier question of how people sustain themselves if there's no vegetation. And as I said in the last show, a lot of the animals were, and fish and cows and so on were killed off um, by the dust and the rivers boiling and stuff. So there wouldn't have been a lot of food for people to eat. Uh, so, you know, I was wondering, like, how people sustained themselves during this time. And it was, part of it was through ambrosia, the ambrosia that was falling from uh, the sky. And another really cool part of the book is that, um, is where, you know, following ambrosia, Emmanuel talks about rivers of milk and honey. And it's something, it's a saying that I've heard of before, like the, you know, the land of milk and honey. And this is kind of where that saying comes from. So Emmanuel wrote about how the honey um, frost fell in good quantities and nourished a lot of people. And then eventually when the day broke, the grains were liquefied and um, um, volatized from the heat under the cloud cover. So the ground absorbed some of the liquefied mass as if absorbed as if absorbed, absorbing the dew. So when the grains uh, fell into the water, the water eventually took on a milky appearance. And uh, he was saying that um, scouts saw the strange appearance of the rivers of Palestine and thought um, it was the land that floweth with milk and honey. So it's kind of interesting that that, that saying the land of milk and honey kind of came from the, you know, this ambrosia, this dew, which, which after a time liquefied on the grains and fell into the water, which is what gave the water, um, that kind of milky appearance. So that, that was really interesting. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, 
so and then he also talked uh, Emmanuel also talks about um a really interesting visit that um yeah I decided to write because there's actually quite a bit in the book that I didn't include in today's show because then it would just be really long uh, because one of the things that I enjoy about reading Worlds in Collision is that uh, Emmanuel quotes a lot of like the the myths and legends like not just the Bible but uh, Greek myths and uh, Chinese myths myth and legends and and Buddhism and so on so he does uh, quote from different areas and one of the stories he talks about is when King Solomon visited Egypt or also uh, called Kemet which um, is the kind of the pre-colonial name for Egypt and he asked he asked the wise priest about the early history of the land um, and the priest was well versed in ancient history and said that there have been many it will be many destructions of mankind through fire and water um, and they recur over long intervals um, and then he also said that the priest was kind of funny that or at least I thought it was funny when the priest said that's one of the reasons why uh, he felt the Greeks were so childish is because they forgot the horrors of the past um, and then he also the priest also talks about which I thought was really cool at this a, a mighty island kingdom on a great island in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, uh, which was submerged and lost in the waters forever. And of course, you know, I remember growing up listening to stories about the legend of Atlantis. And, uh, you know, there's lots of people that don't think it was a legend. They feel like Atlantis was um, real. And yeah, you know, very possibly Atlantis was real. Another one, um, I think is also ancient Lumeria, but I think that was more in the Pacific and Atlantis was more in the Atlantic area. And, you know, so Emmanuel kind of talks a little bit about Atlantis and how like Plato in his work talks about, um, tales of Atlantis and how it ruled, uh, Africa or as a kingdom where it ruled Africa all the way up to ancient Kemet and then as well and, and parts of Europe. Um, you know, and then it, it sank all of a sudden. And so Emmanuel wonders if um, it was a celestial catastrophe similar to the one that caused uh, the exodus that was responsible for the sinking of Atlantis because it was... You know, given some of the stories I've heard of Atlantis, is that it was pretty sudden. Like it, you know, it was lost uh, fairly quickly, and a lot of these cosmic upheavals happen, you know, in, in no time at all. Like you know, mountains are crushed with earthquakes or floods. Like it, it's not something that is gradual. It's something that happens all of a sudden, and then things change forever. So, um. I thought that was kind of an interesting take on the legend of Atlantis. And I do wonder if maybe around its dis I don't know what year um, it existed. Emmanuel thought that maybe it existed about 900 years ago. So I wonder if there is maybe a, a celestial event or, um, or something like that that caused a big enough catastrophe to 
a submerged island or submerged Atlant Atlantis into the Atlantic. So, you know, it'd be interesting to find out. Um, so I think I'm going to leave that for this here for this show. And I think what I'm going to do, cause I, I want to catch up because I want to finish, um, finish off the book over the next uh, week or so. So I think I'm going to do another, um, brief recording on and finish off the Venus, the section on Venus on Wednesday. And then that way this weekend or this coming Monday, I can finish or at least talk about Mars and either finish it on Monday or finish it on Wednesday. Cause I think I'm going to try and experiment with the show a little bit and do maybe, um, you know, shorter 30 to 40 minute, um, episodes just about what the books and what I've been reading and just, you know, just see how that goes to see if maybe, um, you know, I, I get more out of it and you get as the listener, get more out of it. And then, you know, I can always do, you know, go back to doing longer shows or something, but I'm just going to try that and see how that, I see how that works. So on Wednesday, um, I'm going to be continuing, concluding the section on Venus and it's mostly going to be talking about how Venus went from, you know, a, a comet and the comet Typhoon to, to becoming Venus and being associated with Athena and being associated with, um, you know, like the, the worship of the sacred cow and the sacred bull, which I thought was really interesting. It made me think about the astrology of Venus as well, because I'm I've kind of I've been studying a little bit of astrology, so so I'll get to that because there's some really interesting stuff that I learned in the book that kind of has a relationship to astrology. And Emmanuel never wrote that anything about astrology in the book. I don't know if he was an astrologer, but um, there's just some interesting stuff there. So I'm excited to talk about that uh, for the next show, and then on the weekend or on Monday, next Monday. Once again, I'm going to um, start talking about Mars and how how Mars comes into all this and how Mars is responsible for Venus becoming a planet. So that's going to be pretty interesting. And it involves the Trojan War and Homer's Iliad and a fight between Athena and Ares. So it's going to be pretty cool. So stay tuned. And uh, thank you all for come stopping by the cafe. And I hope you enjoyed the show and we'll see you on Wednesday. So take care. Bye-bye.